All right, show of hands for those of you that own a vehicle. All right. How many of you that raised your hands, if you open up your glove compartment, have a paper map in there? You know, the kind that has, you open up and it sort of spans the length of your arms. But how many of you then still use those maps in order to find a location? Oh, a couple of you. All right. A couple of you do. Now, how many of you use an electronic device in order to find your location? All right. Yeah, most of you in these days. Some of you are even holding up your phones. Yes, paper maps are becoming obsolete. They're bulky, they're cumbersome, and yet there are certain advantages for those maps that I think we miss. For me, we've lost the ability uh, to know where we are in relation to other places. We might even miss some landmarks. I remember being in the States a couple of years ago. I was using my phone to get from Nashville to where I was going in southern Missouri. I'd never been in that area, so I just typed in the destination and followed directions. And those phone maps do a very good job of getting you from point A to point B. They tell you to turn left there. They tell you... A long time before you actually get to that place. They give you a little bit of advance warning and turn right there. And, and for me, as I was driving there, it was all going well. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seemed, I got onto a bridge. And I crossed a huge river. And then a minute later, another huge river with a huge bridge. And I saw signs that said that in those couple of minutes, I had crossed from Kentucky to Illinois to Missouri. Like I said, all within the space of about 60 seconds, it seemed like. And I was thinking to myself, whoa, like, where am I? Well, I just kept driving. But when I checked it after we stopped for the night, it turned out that I drove right through a historic place where the Ohio and Mississippi rivers meet and where those three state lines meet that split those two huge rivers. And if I had known that, I'd have stopped and and. and taken in a lot of the history there. I love history. Got all the Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer stuff there that we read about when I was in high school, junior high school, somewhere in there. But I missed it because it only tells you how to get from one place to the other. It doesn't tell you where you are in relation to anything else that's in between there. Well, that's the negative part of technology. But the good part of those, let's call them e-maps, is that they get you to your destination. And they usually take you they're actually smart. I guess that's why we call them smartphones. They take you the quickest way there sometimes. They, they know where the traffic is, where accidents are, where weather's happening, and they take you the quickest way, even though it might be, there might be two or three alternate ways of getting there. The important thing is that even though there are different routes, the destination is the same. The point of the map is that it gets you to where you want to go. That's your only goal, is to get there. Well, as we pick up our journey through Philippians, Paul reveals a very clear goal. His God-given goal is to preach Christ, to proclaim Christ. A name he gives to the means of getting to that destination is the gospel. We might say that the gospel is the car that arrives at Christ. And so Paul's goal, as he explains it here, is to advance the gospel. That's where he wants to get. 
And at this point, I'm going to sort of change the picture and the metaphor a little bit. Every metaphor always breaks down at some point. But when I think of something advancing, my thoughts go to a military campaign. I've never been in a military campaign. I've never even been in the military. But I have played Risk once or twice. And there, your goal is to advance your army and to infiltrate countries and and regions. Well, that's how Paul pictures the gospel. The gospel is not a military campaign, or it's not even any kind of aggressive force, really. But Paul sees his mission, his assignment, given directly by Jesus himself as advancing the gospel. Having the gospel infiltrate and penetrate into new regions so that Christ is proclaimed. And that's what we see here in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18, where we find ourselves this morning. And as I read this, just notice that Paul is only focused on that one thing, that Christ is proclaimed. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that, and in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Going back to the map, that's his destination. That Christ be proclaimed. That's his priority. That's all that's important to him. He has a single destination in mind. Look again at verse 18. Only that in every way, every alternative route, Christ is proclaimed. How it gets there, how that happens, well, that doesn't matter so much to Paul. So here we go. Let's look at what's going on here. Here, Paul gives some personal details of his life. We find out what's going on with him while he's writing this letter. That's not an uncommon thing to do. When we write update letters, Christmas or other updates, we usually include something about what's happening with us right now. Our health. Our kids, our grandkids, what they're up to, what's happening in school, how our job's going, how retirement's going, those sort of things. And Paul does that too. For Paul, though, it's pretty simple. It's nothing complicated. He is in prison. There's not much else you can do from prison, or so you might think. Only Paul goes beyond just his present circumstances. He writes about the reason behind what's happening. He sees a purpose 
in his present circumstances. Good lesson for all of us to learn. Don't just write about what's going on in our lives. Think about why these things are happening in your life. And that's why he writes, that's what he writes the Philippians about. He wants the circumstances to be a teaching moment for the Philippians. That's how this section starts. Did you notice that? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, these, these circumstances, the fact that he's put into prison, has really served to, here comes the reason, has really served to advance the gospel. And that sets the stage for this, what is really a section of surprising turns. A section of circuitous routes. A section of unexpected outcomes. Just think about that first verse. How in the world could being in prison advance any kind of cause? Well, as you're thinking about that, let's walk this back a little bit. What is Paul doing in prison? That wasn't supposed to be the plan, we wouldn't think. Paul was supposed to be a star missionary. He was supposed to be a church planter. He was supposed to be the preacher to the Gentiles. He was Jesus' main guy in the spread of the gospel to the nations, or at least to the main cities in that area in which he was living. God stopped the Christian killing Saul in his tracks on the road to Damascus. He took the scales off his eyes. He converted him. He made sure after that that Paul was taught for a time. And then the Holy Spirit sent him out, launched him on a preaching tour. That's the way his life would go. And certain times, it did go that way. Paul did travel around. Paul did preach in all kinds of places. People were converted. Churches were planted. But Paul's ministry also included lots of opposition. Much of it physical. He got beat up at certain points. He got stripped at certain points. He got insulted. He got kicked out of towns. There were attempted assassinations. And he was arrested. That was a problem for the advance of the gospel. Or was it? Hang on to that thought. One of the cities Paul really wanted to get to was Rome. He'd been in all the other major cities. He'd been in Athens. He'd been in Corinth. He'd been in Ephesus. He'd even been in Philippi. But the big fish, the most influential city, was Rome. Rome had about a million people at that point, the biggest city in the area. It was uh, the capital of the Roman Empire. In Acts 19.21, Paul says, I must also see Rome. That was his goal. Little did he know at the time that he would indeed see Rome only as a prisoner. He didn't go or get there on his own accord. He got taken there as a prisoner after he was arrested over in Jerusalem and was on a, uh, on a sort of prisoner transfer to Rome by ship. And he most likely wrote Philippians from Rome. That's how he got there. And when historians and commentators put everything together and looking, looking at the prisons of that day in Rome, they came up with this, that Paul was under house arrest and that he was shackled to a guard 24-7. 
by an 18-inch chain. These guards would switch in in four-hour rotations. And that sort of sets the scene for this section. Like I said, in an unexpected turn, Paul understands that his imprisonment, literally the word is chains, literally his chains actually set the stage for the advance of the gospel. In God's providence. Remember I said at the beginning of the year, this is your word of the year for 2020. In God's providence, he uses what should have brought the gospel campaign to a sudden halt to actually move it forward. God will advance his gospel. And he'll do that in humanly unexpected and unconventional ways. Including what seems to us to be circumstances that should have had the exact opposite effect. What should be a disaster for the cause of the gospel, God uses to advance the gospel. What should have been a disaster for the cause of the gospel, God uses to advance the gospel. Paul wants to encourage us so that when we face what seems to us to be restricting circumstances in our lives, in our church, those circumstances might actually be exactly what God uses to advance the cause of the gospel to the people with whom we interact and the people with whom we rub shoulders. Speaking of rubbing shoulders, let's see what God is up to here through Paul's imprisonment as he's chained almost shoulder to shoulder with a guard. How is God pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ forward by Paul being in chains? Like I said, this little section is filled with uh, upturned expectations, at least humanly speaking. And those upturned expectations from a human standpoint should make us look around and say, what is going on here? This does not make sense. But when we start looking around for answers, we should, at some point in our looking, shift our gaze towards God. God has got to be behind all this because there is no other human explanation. No human could have thought this up. And that, of course, is exactly right. God is working out all the things, all things for his glory, for the good of his church, and for the good of his people. And he is especially ensuring that the gospel advances through a message, through the message, through the proclamation, through the preaching of Christ. That's the content that he uses to advance his cause. And I see at least three surprising twists to Paul's imprisonment. Three ways where we would have expected the outcome to go in one direction when it actually goes in the total opposite direction. And those outcomes should give us a big clue that we can always trust God in our circumstances even though it might not be going the way We expect things to go. The first one is the one that we've already been seeing, and that is that the very thing that we would expect to hinder the gospel actually serves to advance the gospel. And that is Paul being contained and confined as a prisoner. In verse 12, Paul wants the church over in Philippi to know that being a prisoner has really served to advance the gospel. that part just does not make sense. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
When someone goes to prison, the idea of prison is that they can't do the stuff that they did when they were free. We think of it that way for people that break the law. Prisons, of course, have other sort of supplementary functions, but at the very basic level, criminals are captured and confined so that they can't break the law anymore or to harm others by their criminal activity. They're, they're contained and they're under constant supervision. In Paul's case, he didn't commit a crime, but he was contained and was under constant supervision. And so you would expect that he would not be able to preach the gospel anymore. He was hindered from traveling. He was hindered from preaching publicly. The advance of the gospel was hindered. But it's actually the very opposite. What has happened to me has served not to hinder the gospel as expected, but to advance the gospel. How? Well, look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We might say that Paul leveraged his imprisonment for Christ. Remember I said that he was chained to a guard on a four-hour rotation? So that means that over the course of a 24-hour day, there would be six different shift changes. Well, it's not like the guard and Paul wouldn't just sit there the whole time and say nothing. Paul, for sure, would not let that opportunity pass by. He, he, he just wasn't wired that way in the first place. Paul knew he had... He'd grown at this one, a captive audience, literally. They were connected by an 18-inch chain. He wasn't going anywhere, that was for sure. That was, that was the idea. But neither were those guards. And what do you think Paul talked about? If you guessed the gospel and Christ, you're right. Well, by the time he wrote this, he could say the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everywhere else. And he says, they all knew that his imprisonment was for Christ. This imperial guard was actually, it's kind of like the secret service in the States. Um, I'm not sure what they call our, our, our prime minister's guards. Probably a name for them that I'm not thinking of right now. But it was kind of like that. This imperial guard was actually the Roman Empire, the Caesar's elite personal force. So when Paul told them that his imprisonment was for Christ, that would have been a subversive blow against Caesar. Where those chains should have displayed Caesar's power over anyone that that opposed his authority and his power and his lordship, Paul's message was that those chains chains actually displayed Christ's power. Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. That's what he was saying. That's what everybody came to understand that was chained to Paul, because Paul told them that. And that word got around the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, including, in all likelihood, right to the ears of the Roman emperor himself. Everyone would have known that for Paul, Jesus is Lord. And it happened because Paul was in chains. The gospel probably would have never advanced that far had Paul not been imprisoned. It would not have gotten into the inner circle. 
of Paul. Paul was kind of like Joseph in that way. He got into the Pharaoh's court simply through providence, including about in prison. What should have been for Paul, what should have been expected to hinder the gospel, really serves to advance God's cause, to advance the gospel. And this should make us all think about whether there's anything, perhaps in your circumstances, that you think might be hindering the advance of the gospel. Is there anything in your present circumstances that you feel like might be restricting the advance of the gospel to the people that are around you? Maybe you feel confined because uh, this is a season in life where you're confined at home with small children and hardly ever get a chance to talk to anyone other than your children. Or maybe you're tied to your desk all day. Or maybe you feel restricted because uh, you work alone. You don't interact with a lot of other people. Or maybe you feel restricted because you're in, in a school. Maybe you're a teacher or an administrator or a student. And you have to be careful what you say. Or maybe you're sick or you're weak or you're debilitated in some other way. Or maybe you think you're too young or, or, or too old to be part of God's plan to advance the gospel. Well, just let Paul's circumstances here encourage you that God has you exactly where you are right now for his good purposes and for the advance of the gospel. Where you are, your life circumstances, is not an accident. It is providential. Even though you look for all intents and purposes to be confined Have you ever thought that your confinement might well be for Christ? And if you're not a Christian, maybe you're here this morning at this church for the first time. Maybe you've been coming a while. I just wonder if you know that you are not here by accident. Just like those guards were not chained to Paul by accident. You are here because God made it possible through a million other smaller details to get you here this morning, to get you here today to hear this good news about Jesus, that you, like all of us, are a sinner, that you have broken God's laws, and that you are already under a death sentence, but that God, in his love, sent his son Jesus to undeserving sinners. And Jesus perfectly obeyed God. He did what God wanted us to do, but could not do, did not do. He did that perfectly, and then he went to a cross, and then he died, and then he was raised. And the gospel call is that you repent, that you turn from your sins, and that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, the promise of God's word is that you will be saved and that you will have eternal life with God. It is not an accident that you are here. Your circumstances are not an accident. They are providential. They are for Christ. Well, the second thing, the second surprising twist is that Paul's imprisonment should have discouraged and silenced 
and scared his Christian friends there in Rome. So he says, Paul, he says his imprisonment is for those that don't yet believe, but his imprisonment also has an effect on those who do believe. If you were, let's say you were in the car with your friend and they got pulled over for speeding, hopefully the next time you would go to that spot and yet you were driving, you would be scared to go over the speed limit. So for Paul's Christian friends, you'd think that if their leader was stuck in prison for preaching Christ, it would be a warning for his friends on the outside that if they preached like Paul, they might be thrown into a prison too. Maybe they'd pull back. You'd expect that maybe they'd be a little bit more private in their evangelism, maybe a little quiet, maybe stay at home, maybe just send out a tract instead of speaking in the street. They probably wouldn't talk publicly about Christ. That was expected. That's what you expect. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, the very opposite. Look again at verse 14. And most of the brothers, so these are the believers, most of the brothers that were with him there in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look at that. You'd expect that Paul's being chained would decrease their faith in the Lord. Instead, it made them confident in the Lord. You'd expect that Paul's change would discourage them and would frighten them. Instead, it made them much more bold. It's just piling on the, the adjectives there. Prone, much more bold descriptions. Instead of discouraging them, it gave them more courage. And instead of making them quiet and fearful, they were speaking the word without fear. It didn't stop them at all. In fact, it increased their, their desire to, to spread the gospel. Paul's imprisonment did not serve to keep them quiet in their proclamation of Christ. It made them louder. Rather than shut the whole mission down there in Rome because the leader had been confined, Paul's circumstances served to advance the gospel in Rome. Just like Joseph said in his story of being exiled to Egypt, Paul could say the same thing. God sent me here to this prison. Later in Genesis, Joseph says what people meant for evil, in this case his brothers, God meant it for good. There in Genesis, so that many people might be kept alive in a time of famine, but here with Paul being in prison, so that many in Rome would hear the gospel and be made alive in Christ. Brothers and sisters, make sure you don't underestimate God's work behind the scenes of your circumstances. Do you ever wonder why God would allow certain circumstances in your life? It might seem to you that there's no rhyme or reason for what's going on. It might even seem to you sometimes that God has it in for you. But could it be? Could it be that God might be using your present circumstances to serve the end of the gospel. So, for instance, even though you're suffering, let this be an encouragement to you to keep serving Jesus. Keep talking up Jesus and his word and his work in your life. Give testimony to what God is doing in your life through your circumstances. That might very well Encourage your friends to speak the word with courage and without fear. 
And the third unexpected and surprising twist is there in verses 15 to 17. Of these fellow Christians that went out and spoke the word, there were two groups. Some, indeed, preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So just understand that, that both groups here were fellow believers in Christ. These are not false teachers. Both groups preached Christ as well. This wasn't like one group was changing the gospel or, or preaching a false gospel. If that was the case, Paul would have definitely confronted them as he does in other places, even here in Philippians. He, he would never tolerate alterations to the content of the gospel. But this is more of an issue of motives. Some were preaching Christ from pure motives. It's purely out of love for Paul and, and love for God, love for the gospel, love for Christ. They're preaching out of goodwill toward Paul as opposed to those who want ill will for Paul. They preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Somewhere along the line, they became jealous of Paul's popularity. They were envious. They, they begrudged his success. And they were actually happy that Paul was in prison. And they were opportunists. They figured, now that Paul's in prison, maybe I can make a name for myself. Maybe I can get kind of a, a, a big kind of following that, that Paul had. Their message was the same. They were still preaching Christ, but it was not from sincere motives, but out of selfish ambition. And so they actually wanted to, in verse 17, afflict Paul. Literally, the word there means to cause him trouble. We don't really know how or what they were up to, but, but they were likely working to make sure that Paul stayed in prison. Maybe they were talking him down. Maybe they were working behind the scenes. Damaging his, his credibility, trying to ruin his reputation. But notice the twist. It actually had the opposite effect. Rather than focus on how this was causing Paul trouble, Paul doesn't focus on his own reputation at all. He doesn't care about his own reputation. All he really cares about is that Christ is proclaimed. He knows the gospel is getting out there. Uh, the motives don't ultimately matter. God's going to deal with that. Well, let God deal with people's motives. Look at verse 18. What then? In other words, who cares? <laughs> Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And so rather than being troubled by their motives, Paul is rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed. Were they meant to cause him trouble? They were only causing him joy. Paul has a singular focus. The content is all that matters to Paul. The final destination is all that matters. It might not be a straight route. It might be a circuitous route. But all that matters is that Christ is proclaimed and that the gospel is advancing. In that, he rejoices. He's not troubled. He rejoices. Paul is writing this to encourage the Philippians. Maybe there were similar circumstances happening in Philippi as were happening in Rome where Paul was. But God wants to encourage us here today as well. We've talked about the circumstances in your life as an individual. 
Are you languishing in your present circumstances, maybe, maybe having a hard time getting past those circumstances, or are you rejoicing that your circumstances might somehow, in some way, be serving to advance the gospel and to proclaim Christ? I encourage you to, to look deeper and to see how God might use your chains, whatever those might be for you, to proclaim Christ. Be bold. Be of good courage. Speak the word without fear. But I also think of the church. It's getting harder and harder for the church to speak the word such that it might seem like we're in chains. It's getting harder and harder to proclaim Christ. We don't have to look very far to see churches that are softening the message to the point that it barely has any resemblance to the true gospel. They talk less about sin and judgment and more about love and, and undiscriminating acceptance. The message is less and less about the need for repentance and confession and more and more about the need to be welcoming and affirming. And in many ways, we all understand the pressure to do that, don't we? We feel that pressure. We observe what's happening around us in our world, and we might think, how could the gospel possibly advance at times like this? The forces of politics and government seem to be against the gospel, much like it was back there in the Roman Empire. All sense of moral value seem to be caving in on the gospel. What was commonly understood to be sinful and immoral is now celebrated. And if you dare say anything against it, you will feel the forces pressing in against you. It seems like if we preach the true word and the true gospel of a crucified and risen Savior who dies for the sins of the world, there might be trouble on the horizon. How could the gospel possibly advance in times like this? Well, the answer is that God is still on his throne, his word is still living and active. And he is still at work. God is at work through his church. God is at work through his people and through the circumstances of his people. And he is at work in in, in often imperceptible ways. Just when it looks like the gospel has been chained, just when it looks like your circumstances might not be conducive to the advance of the gospel, God is at work in unexpected and surprising ways. So let's not miss how God is working as we move toward the destination. He who began a good work in you will bring all things to completion. As it said back in verse 6, in your life and for the advance of the gospel. So let this word from Paul's life encourage you to be confident in the Lord, always trusting him, growing in faith to be much more bold, much more bold to speak the word without fear and then to rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Let's pray.